You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right. Well, you guys can have a seat. I can actually say you can have a seat again. I used to say it. You at the house sitting in your jammies, and you're like, I'm already sitting. So you can have a seat, and that feels good. Um, it's good again to see you guys. Thank you for all the registering. I know it's kind of a pain. I feel like you're at Six Flags wandering in and out of a cones, but hopefully this won't be much, much longer. Appreciate the hard work of some of our guys and gals behind the scenes to make it as smooth as possible today, and really, I think it has been. So Greg and Tim and his team, it's been great to get us in here. So, and the clean, crew that's clean in between the staff and deacons, it's been awesome. One of the things that uh, I've, I discovered over this, our time away of, of COVID, uh, was a show, it's a, it's a YouTube kind of show, it's, it's called uh, Reunited Apart. Anybody seen this? Josh Gad, anybody know Josh Gad? He's, he's Olaf from Frozen, you know Olaf, right? Some of you guys know Olaf, for, if you have kids. Well, he, he came up with this show, you know, creative people, when they're crammed into a house and have nothing to do, they become more creative. So he created this little show for charity called Reunited Apart. And what he would do is he would bring all these casts from these classic movies from the 80s and 90s together and just, you know, they're all older now. So the first one they did was The Goonies, which was awesome. So there's The Goonies and Sean Astin, and there's, there's Thanos. You didn't realize Thanos, before he became Thanos, was a Goonie, did you? But he is, he's a Goonie. And so, uh, and then they did Back to the Future, and they did Ghostbusters yesterday or the day before, which was kind of fun. But the one that I watched and I was just like enthralled with was they did The Lord of the Rings, all right? So there's, there's Gandalf, you shall not pass, and they... They bring all the staff back. There's Aragorn, you know, there's, there's the hobbits, uh, and they're all there, and what they do is they kind of act out some of the f- more famous lines from the movie, and they tell funny stories, it's all for charity, and you know, they all, you know, uh, Elijah Wood, he had sting, he still had his, you know, his, so he brings out his sword, and Gimli puts on his helmet, he's like 90 in real life, but he puts on his helmet, and it's just fun to watch and see them laugh about the movie and what fun they had, but there's something that happened when I was watching this. It stirred up in me that I, that I had to do something. I had to be moved to action. So I went home that day and, and I immediately rented the extended version, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, and I got the boys and I said, boys, we have to watch this tonight, now. So we watched it. It's like a 13-hour thing because it's the extended version, right? So we're up to like three in the morning. But there, me and the boys, because I watched this little video and I was remembering, I was like, I remember reading that and coming out. I had to move. I had to do something. I had to be stirred to action. And, and as we reflect on this season of COVID and all the chaos that's going on, um, I don't want us to just look back and say, yeah, I remember 2020. I, I see with 2020 vision, 2020, that was a horrible year. And just like kind of remember it, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't move us to action. One of the things we've been talking about in the life of Joseph is that when there's struggle and there's conflict and there's heat and expo- it exposes things that are below the surface that you might not normally see, right? But when, when trouble comes, that which is inside is revealed. And we saw that in Joseph's brothers. We've seen it in his life. And I think what, what COVID and all this other stuff has done is it's brought to the surface some things that were there and we may not have seen them, but now it's clearer, and, and as we've been working through this last couple months and, you know, I've had a lot more time than usual to think and, and, and to just kind of plan or even just, I don't even know, just to kind of reflect 
often I'd be thinking about this season and, and how chaotic and how unique it is, and, I, and a thought would come to mind or an observation that I saw or a, something that this guy wrote in his blog or some sermon that I heard, and so I'd write it down in my kind of, my mental uh, moleskin, which is my phone, right? and, by, and after I went back a few weeks ago, I'm like, and I got like, I got over 10 just observations that thoughts that came to mind or things I think we need to do as a church or things I think we're weak at, things that have been exposed uh, in this time because of this difficulty. And I wanna just share some of them with you today. Can't share them all because I got too much, too many of them. Actually, I could this service because no one's coming afterwards. So you guys could be here till like forever, but um, I'm not gonna do that to you because the first services will get mad. They're like, we only got seven and you gave them 13. That's not fair, right? So come earlier, but uh, I just want to work through some of these today. And some of them may be super like, yeah, I see that. Or some of them may be like, that's ah, not me. But the goal is not, I won't be able to go super deep dive on most of them. But really what I want is for you at the kitchen table tonight with the teenagers. Or you and your roommate. Or maybe your community group this week. To just grab one or two and be like, yeah, he said this. What do you think? Do you see that? I think so too. What do, and just kind of work through these things in community and start talking. Because the, I don't, the last thing we want is to look back and say, yeah, that was bad. And nothing changes. Those things that have been exposed just kind of go back under the dirt once everything kind of goes back to normal. So we're gonna jump in. We're gonna be a little bit all over the place. Just a couple different texts. It's not typical for us. We'll jump back into Genesis next week and finish that up in a couple weeks. But I wanted to just kind of take a moment to do this. So I got seven. I'm gonna get through them all. Maybe eight, I don't know. But no specific order, not one more important than the other. Just kind of random things. Uh, hopefully they'll be encouraging, challenging, even maybe rebuking in some ways to us, but I think it'll be helpful. So number one, here we go, is be thankful. That what I think this is exposed in a lot of us, or at least in America and maybe the church, is we are not a thankful bunch. And if anything, I think we take for granted a lot of things uh, that are just, just common grace. Right? Things that we just have come to get used to. Like if you have to, if your wife's like, I need X and it's 2.30 in the morning, you can get X at the Walmart. I mean, it's kind of spooky and scary. And if you want to risk it, you can do it. But you can get it, whatever you need at 2.30 in the morning, you can do it until this season. I, I, I think that's something we take for granted. I think we've taken school teachers for granted. Anybody like, oh, I love my school teachers. I just can't wait to see them in the fall, right? Uh, Hospital workers, medical workers, truck drivers, toilet paper, take for granted. Your favorite restaurant, take for granted. Going to the beach without having to hop the gate, which my family may or may not have done (laughs) twice or three times. People in the service industry, little league. I think we take these things for granted. And the people of God, the idea is we should be, we should be thankful people. This is what Paul says in Colossians. He says it all through the New Testament. Just give me one. Let the peace of Christ, that's actually an imperative. It's a command. Doesn't sound like it because it's a third person singular command, which is unusual for English, but in Greek it works. But it's let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And what? Be Thankful. See, the result of letting the peace of Christ is what we should be doing anyway. Rule, govern our heart is what? Thankfulness. We could use a little peace and thankfulness in, in this world right now, right? And then he says, really, it's a synonymous statement. Let the word of Christ, the gospel, dwell in you richly, teaching one another, admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness. 
The result of the peace of God and the word of God is a thankfulness, a thankful people. The people of God ought to be marked with just, just thankfulness. And a big one I think that we took for granted, that I took for granted, is y'all, is gathering. Is this, as limited as this is, it was so pitiful, like March 21st. I mean, there's like nine of us in this room and four of them were in the booth. And it was horrible, for me anyway. For you guys, we're like, man, I'm in my jammies. This is awesome. For us, it was horrible. Being in the office with just me and Clint, just like, yo, yo. It's horrible. But the idea that we get to gather, man, how many of us took that for granted? How many of us just, you know, some of you, and let's be honest, some of you blow off the gathering because sometimes you just la- you're just lazy. Well, I don't want to go to the beach. I want to sleep in. I was up late last night. I watched too much Netflix. I think that this ought to be a reminder for us, the privilege to gather. Because I can tell you in some places in the world right now, COVID or not, they don't have the freedom to gather, to proclaim Jesus as God and King, to worship and sing. They just don't have that freedom. I think we took it for granted. I think we take it for granted. And as much as I'm thankful, I was thankful for technology and, and Dan and his whole team and Stuart and those guys, and they just got the stuff together and they did a great job to get uh, our, our online service out. That ain't the way it's supposed to be. I mean, if online church was God's plan, all we have to do is, is find the greatest preacher in America who is not in this room, I promise you, and, and, and we can all stream him every week. And be like, man, that was great. Chandler was great this week. But it's more than just... The, the preaching, although that's a part of our gathering. It's, it's like Paul says to the Roman church, man, I cannot wait to be with you so that I can impart a spiritual gift. I wanna be with you. It's that gift of presence, of seeing your smiling faces, of actually having one or two of you actually know what Lord of the Rings is and laugh. I love you. <laughs> of having a smiling face, just a, a glad person to be there. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. The church is a, is a, is a gift. The gathering is a gift. It's that place, remember the, again, the child of the 80s, that Thursday night was must-watch TV. You had the Cosby Show, and then you had Cheers. And then you had that, that little song at the beginning of Cheers. Remember, making the way in the world today takes everything you got. Right? I won't sing the rest of it, but taking a break from all your worries sure does help a lot. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they are always glad you came, and we are. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same, and they are. You want to go where everyone knows your name. That's the body. That's the church. Man, what a privilege to be back in the room to see some of y'all I haven't seen in so long. It's awesome. What I don't want to do is I don't want to forget. I don't want to, I don't want, because we have a a habit as as creatures. That's why the scripture is so repetitive. It's what Peter says, I don't mind stirring you up by way of reminder. This is not a problem for me. I don't want to forget the privileges. I don't want to forget the little things that once we lose them, we're like, oh, yeah. And I want to be marked with thankfulness because we are people that are letting the gospel, the word of Christ, which they dwell, and because we're letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. I think that's a great lesson for us to remember. When everyone else is complaining that the people of God are thankful, there's a distinction there. Here's the second thing. I'm reminded that that God is at work when we don't see it. Because what I like And what was bumming me out, I love Easter. 
You know what? I love Easter. We sing loud. We pack it in. Get 2,000 people in here. And it's the big event. And, you know, it's flash. I mean, for us, flash. But, you know, not really for other people. But I think that oftentimes we think God works in the big stuff. Got to have a revival, right? Got to have a weekly revival. And we're going to plan it. And we, got, we had this great event planned for Grayson Stadium. We may still be able to do it in the fall or not. But, I mean, we were going to have fun on there and baptize the people. We were talking about a pastor dunk booth. We were talking about all these fun things, Right? That would have been fun. And this, this whole thing blew it up. And it, it's like, oh, it's God gonna, what's God going to do now? We can't gather. We can't come for Easter. We got to do Easter online. We got to, and, and our first uh, staff meeting back, I read this passage to the staff. I'm going to read it to you. It's not about, per se, that, that big idea. But I think it's striking because it, it speaks to the fact that we expect God to be doing things that, that he doesn't do. First Kings 19, the context is, Elijah has just won this great battle against the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal versus him. He wins. God calls fire down from heaven, burns it up. I mean, it's this great victory. And then the queen threatens his life and he uncharacteristically cowers and he runs away and he's all depressed. And he's, he's talking to God. In verse nine, he came to a cave and lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaking your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God said, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Literally, it's a thin silence is what the Hebrew says. And when Elijah hears that, he, he wraps his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I think... Here's the observation I want us to make. I think we think that God shows up in the fire and the earthquake and throwing the mountains and that's how God works and that's great and it's big and it's flashy and that's what he does. And that does happen sometimes. But sometimes, like Elijah recognizes, God's not in that, but he is in the low whisper. When it seems like nothing, just a blowing. But God's presence is there and Elijah hides his face. And what I've seen in this last couple months is that God does things that we're not expecting, how we're not expecting, where we're not expecting. I mean, again, preaching to 11 people, it's just, it was depressing kind of. But, but what I've saw is even in that, I mean, we, we were reaching people that we've never reached before. People that may never have come to church, not our church. I mean, I'm getting emails from all over the country, some all over the world. We've been, we found CBC. We've been watching your services, greatly encouraged, appreciate it. I'm like, how did you, you live in Timbuktu, how did you find us? Some of you have some, you need to stop accepting every friend request on Facebook you get. You're like, oh, accept, yeah, he lives in Bangladesh, I know him, he went to high school with somebody I knew, right? But, I mean, it's go, it was going out there and people were finding us, we get thousands of people watching. I would have never thought that. I would have thought, man, the word of God is bound, like Paul says, but he says, no, 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 the word of God is not bound. I may be bound, but the word of God is not bound. There may be only 11 of us here, but man, the gospel going out, not this to our church. I mean, this is the story I've heard through a ton of churches. For some of you, you guys are emailing, hey, we, had a, we met our neighbors, first time in a long time. 
right? Because you were forced to, because you were forced to be at home. And now you have relationships with people that you'll have opportunities, gospel opportunities, and, and things we could have not fathomed. But God was moving, even when it wasn't flashy, it was just a gentle blowing. I think that's a significant lesson for us, right? And again, just a reminder that your life, you may think, I'm not a flash, I don't have lots of gifts, I'm just middle management, going nowhere, I'm just a high school student, college student, whatever. You gotta understand, God doesn't need the flash. Can I remind you that Jesus was born with zero flash, in a manger, son of a carpenter, and the reason, one of the reasons the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders rejected him is because he had no flash, because he was so plain, so normal, right? But yet he was the son of God. It's a great reminder for us and for you to be encouraged. You may think, I don't have a lot of fire and earthquake, but God doesn't need that. Sometimes he's just moving when you don't see him. Thin silence. A good, I think, reminder for us and encouragement. Number three, this is the one that hit me the most, and I think, well, for some of you, maybe some of you not, is that we need to cultivate in our life a rhythm of the three S's, as I call them. Solitude, silence, Sabbath, Shabbat, which means rest, Sabbath. I don't think we, as a culture, do nothing well. We don't do it well, I can tell you. I can guarantee you if you, that this happened at some point in your last three months, that on a Wednesday night at 7.47, you're trying to binge Netflix and you're just mad at the TV because the internet is so slow because everybody in Kensington Park is on the internet at the same time and the internet is like dial-up AOL modem speed and you're mad because I can't watch Netflix, what am I gonna do, right? Because we don't know how to function in nothing, Boredom for us in this culture is completely different than it was 20 years ago. There's no, there's no such thing as boredom anymore. Boredom for me growing up, sitting in the back of the car, 600 mile drive, looking out the window, so hoping I don't throw up, listening to my dad's ABBA tape. That was boredom. Now, you've already streamed the entire season of, of Stranger Things. Mom, what's next? Right? Oh, my iPad died. It's only been seven hours. What in the world? We don't, do, we don't do nothing well. We don't know how to sit in silence. It's just like it feels wrong for us. And ironically, when I wrote this point down on my phone a couple weeks ago, literally that afternoon, my phone died. It died completely. The screen was just, did all this crazy stuff. I couldn't use it. And I was without a phone from a Saturday night till a Thursday afternoon till I got my new one in the mail. And I about lost my mind. Because if I have three minutes of extra time in the public's line, what am I doing? Checking the news, checking the scores. There's no scores to check. I'm still depressed about that, but that's another story. I'm, I'm checking an email. I'm texting somebody. I had to find a FedEx store on like a Tuesday afternoon, and I couldn't find it because I didn't have a phone. I'm like, what am I going to do? I, don't, I only know how to get to home and to Publix. That's the only thing I know. I've been here 13 years. I don't know what anything is because I have a phone. I can find it. Take me, Siri, to FedEx. Uh, I, I didn't have that option. I realized how dependent I was on this. I don't do silence well. It forced me to do silence. It forced me to just do nothing. And, and, and re, here's, here's why that, that matters. We say we're, we're, we're equipping people to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means that we believe what he teaches, but it also means we do what he did. That he modeled for us the godly life. 
the Christian life. That's not the only reason he came. He came to die for sins. He came to, to atone for sins. That's why he came. But in doing so, he lived the perfect life, right? And, and one of the things that he did, and it's throughout the Gospels, is he practiced silence, solitude, and Sabbath, right? In fact, the Gospel of Mark highlights this. Just in chapter one, Mark as a gospel is the, is the gospel of action. It's about movement. You see several times, immediately this, immediately Jesus did this, immediately Jesus did this. In chapter one, you see three actually examples of Jesus practicing silence, getting away, solitude. So and right after his baptism, the spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's alone for 40 days, him and his father, except when Satan's tempting him and when the animals were there, which I don't even know what that means, but there's wild animals. But he's alone. And then the very next thing, he comes out of the wilderness and it says he's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And that's what struck me about that little line is I always, you know, focus on Andrew and there's, he, he sees the two fishermen. He says, follow me and I'll make your fishers of men. But Jesus is walking along the beach by himself and he passes two dudes. It's like he were on Tybee. He's walking on the beach alone and he sees two guys. You guys come after me. He, t- he took that time to get alone. Later in the chapter, he wakes up early when it's dark He departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. You see him modeling and practicing getting alone, praying, quiet, right? It's it's important to him and he is the son of God and you're not. And one of the ways we follow him is, is do this, right? And I think we're uncomfortable with this. Number one, we don't like being alone. And number two, I don't think when we get alone and get quiet, we like what we see or what we think because we're alone with our thoughts and our thoughts reveal and expose how dark our souls are. And so what we try to do is fill that up with email and songs and whatever. And we don't wanna get alone because then we have to see what's really there. And those are the places where God says, yes, I want you to see that. I want you to move towards me. I want you to recognize that the cross took care of that. I wanna make you more like my son. And I think a lot of us, are missing out on spiritual growth because we don't take any time of silence and solitude and let God pour into our soul that we sit and listen, that we open the scriptures. We, back in the 90s, I, I don't know if it was the 90s, maybe late 80s, we, somebody penned the term, the term quiet time, right? That was a big thing. You do quiet time, quiet time, quiet time, right? And, 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 so, and it's kind of a cheesy term, but the idea, I think we ought to bring back the quiet time. I think we ought to rock it like it's 1999, the quiet time. Or you, whether it's in six o'clock in the morning for some of you, get your favorite cup of whatever, monster if it's you, or coffee, or tea, or water, or, you know, almond milk if you're of that, you know, whatever. And you get in your favorite chair, or by your favorite window, or on your couch, or go outside, or on your porch, or your swing, or maybe it's down at your favorite part, and you just leave your phone in your car, and leave your earphones out for once, and you sit. And you practice solitude. And maybe you, you read a psalm or, or read a gospel chapter and think and meditate and ask God to, to, to feed your soul and to nourish you. Because Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in with him, I'll dine with him and he with me. There's this idea of, of he wants to move and speak and, and dine with you. That you would do that. It's not about being lonely. Richard Foster in his book on the discipline says, loneliness is an inner emptiness. Solitude is an inner fulfillment. It's a place to make you strong. Jesus goes away to pray and to be alone and to have his soul nourished and watered. 
refreshed. And so here's the 6 a.m. or 11 p.m. or whatever time you need to do it. But it's important for us to get some time of solitude alone with our God. And it's important for us to get Sabbath, Shabbat, which just means rest, right? Seven days the Lord created the universe. On the seventh day, he rested, not because he was tired. He only did like seven, he spoke seven things and it happened. He's not tired, but he's modeling for us a pattern of how he has wired and created us. And he's given us a gift to rest, a Sabbath, where you don't do what you normally do. You don't catch up on all the emails and I know I got all this work, I got to, you actually take a break from that because you're trusting that God can take care of in six days what you think you can take care of in seventh. And you enjoy his creation and enjoy him and maybe it's your Sabbath is Sunday so you worship and then you enjoy your afternoon and that could look like a thousand different things. If it's a nap, praise God. If you get rest and rejuvenated by doing the lawn or yard work, that's fine. You're weird, but that's fine. If it's going to the beach or having dinner with friends or just going to the park or a walk or whatever, the idea is don't do the normal stuff. You're an architect, stay away from the architect, right? You're a doctor, stay away from the the doctor stuff. And rest and enjoy a day where God says, hey, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. The Pharisees got it wrong. They made it religious, no joy, no fun, can't walk this far, got to be mad. Some of you grew up in that culture, right? You can't watch football, can't do anything. You have to sit there and be miserable. So you despise the Sabbath where it's supposed to be. No, this is a day to enjoy God, his creation, what he's done. It's an important part of the spiritual life. And it actually is important for your health, believe it or not. You know that the, the group, the religious group in, the, in America that lives the longest by far is the Seventh-day Adventists, which have horrible theology, but they have a good idea about, about rest. They only follow the Old Testament dietary laws, so they're wrong there. Shrimp po' boys are good for you, right? Eat all the bacon you want. No, don't eat all the bacon you want. That's not necessarily good, but... You can eat that stuff, but one of the reasons they live longer is because they practice rest once a week and they do nothing. They enjoy it. So if it's restful and, and Sabbath for you to go out in the boat this afternoon, praise God, do it. Invite your pastor, go on the boat. But the idea of cultivating this into our life, we think that we have, to, we have to be reading the Psalms for it to be spiritual. That is spiritual, but it's also spiritual to rest and rejuvenate so that when you go back to work, and you're ready to, to do everything to the glory of God. And I think that this has shown me that we need to do better as a, as a church and as a culture because we don't do it well. All right? So eat some shrimp, get some rest. Next one, stewardship. I'll be quick on this one because I, I skipped it in the earlier ones, but here's the idea. I think that this is revealed and exposed that some of us are, are one paycheck missed away from, from tragedy. And look, I know stuff's expensive and I got four kids and I got college and all these things, so... I get it, but I think we need to do a little bit better on the budgeting and the stewardship and getting out of debt and consumer debt, right? And, and, and maybe living a, a, as best we can. A, a, a great rule of thumb would be an 80-10-10 rule where you live off 80% you make, you give 10% and you save 10%. It's not, I know it's not possible for a lot of people. I get it. But maybe you do the 88-10 rule. Give 10, live off 88, and maybe start saving 2% to start. Just a little emergency fund right, just in case something happens, 
And so stewardship of our resources. Also stewardship of our body. Like some things you can't help. You can't help, you get asthma, allergies. Sometimes we get cancer, it stinks. But one of the things that COVID has shown is that those who are, are unhealthy are more susceptible. And we get one body. You get one, right? It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You ought to get a good night's sleep. You ought to exercise three to five times a week. It doesn't mean you shouldn't eat fast food ever, but it does mean you should, should eat healthy sometimes. You can turn away from McDonald's and go get you something else, right? It's important. You, get, you only get one body, right? And so we should take care of our bodies. Enjoy food? Absolutely, amen. Enjoy, enjoy God's chicken sandwich and the, and the cookies and cream shake once in a while. But just take care of yourself. Take care of your body. It's important. Bodily exercise is of little profit, not complete profit. Godliness is more important, but it's important to take care of our bodies. I think that's an important point for us. Point five, we need to learn to lament. Lament is a very King Jamesy sounding thing, but it's a very biblical idea. It just means to feel and express grief. And we don't do it well as a culture. What we are used to doing is faking it till we make it. How you doing? Great. You sure? Awesome. How you doing? Awesome. We don't even expect someone to say, I'm a train wreck. We don't even know what to do with that. Like, oh, good. Well, I'm good. Thanks. And we'll walk away. Because we don't live in transparency. But we got to understand that, that lament is a, is a biblical idea this side of heaven. It's all right if you lost your senior prom to grieve that. That's, that's a significant thing when you're a senior. I get it. It's all right, you're a med, you just finished med school and you didn't even get to walk. It's okay to grieve that, to grieve a lost job, to grieve the fact that you only had 10 people at your wedding when you invited 250 because you weren't allowed. It's all right to grieve and to lament over where our nation is now just when it comes to uh, racial reconciliation and the anger that's there. And the hurt. It's okay to lament this. It's actually good. In fact, it's, it's, it's necessary. Because it's, we expect that everything should be here all the time. This is a problem. We think everything should always be happy, 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 happy. And it's not like that. And so when it's down here, we're like, something's wrong. Yeah, it's called sin. Thanks, Adam and Eve. And it won't be here again until Jesus comes back. It's going to be up and down. And so when we're in those seasons of down, it is biblical to lament. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. Not a thrilling read, but it's biblical. Forty of the Psalms, almost one-third are laments, where the writer, Moses, David, is crying out to God in grief. And so it's good to cast your anxiety in him. It's good to grieve, to mourn with those who mourn. The difference is we do so, as Christians, uh, with hope. We do it with hope. So even in the middle of Lamentations, Jeremiah says this. After he's weeping and he's grieving, he says, remember my affliction, my wanderings, the wormwood, the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope. Lament, but lament with hope. Because Jesus has victory over the grave, and one day he will return, and he will set up his kingdom, and it will always be up here. But for now, we can, we can mourn. It's okay. Next one. Fight for unity. What this is exposed, I think, uh, in many ways is that 
the body of Christ is easily divided over things. Um, you shouldn't be going back. You should be going back. You shouldn't be wearing a mask. You should be wearing a mask. Uh, you know, this is the news you should watch. This is the news you should watch. I mean, it is so easy to divide the people of God sometimes, and I think that is sad. Um, and it's, I think this is one thing that has been exposed uh, throughout this situation. Um, and, I, and I think we ought to be aware of it. The Bible calls us to unity, not uniformity. And I've said this a bunch, but I think it constantly needs to be said, is that uniformity is easy because it's everyone looks the same, everyone acts the same, everyone believes the same, everyone is the same, and because we're all uniform, we feel like we're unified, but we're not really unified, we're actually uniform. Because unity is when all those differences come together and there's something that's greater than the differences. And that, that thing that is greater is the gospel. And that trumps everything else. And that is why we can lay down our personal preferences and our rights, even if that person, that person is exactly the opposite of what I believe. They are actually acting like my enemy. And Jesus says, well, I have something for you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And understand the church at Ephesus and the church in the New Testament was hugely divided and it was a racial divide, Jew and Gentile. And there was thousands of years of animosity and anger and wars and all sorts of things that go into this. And the Jews were like, we have to do this. And the Gentiles were like, this, this is what we do. And there was not a lot of love this way. But now they're all believing in Jesus and they're all Christian and they're all thrown in the same room but yet there's still hostility, and Paul addresses it several times, but Ephesians 2, he says this. How are we supposed to have peace? Because he is our peace. Who's he? Jesus. He has made us both one. He has broken out in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why? That he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, how? Through his cross, thereby killing the hostility. He says, Jesus killed any hostility that should be there by nailing it to the cross. He took this great divide that was there, Jew and Gentile, this great animosity, and he nailed it to the cross and he made us one. And he says, that trumps everything else. Doesn't mean it's always gonna be easy because this person's different, and this person believes different, and this person's this, and this that's fine. But what he's saying is this is the biggest thing, and Jesus nailed it to his cross. He took perfect humanity, perfect God, and he, he reconciled that which was alienated and sinful and broken, and he made us one with himself. If he can do that, then we have no excuse. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it is what God has called us to. And I think we need to be reminded of that in this season where Everything is trying to pull us apart and divide us, and I don't think the people of God should be so easily divided. It's gonna take some humility, but it's the same humility of Philippians 2, where Jesus empties himself, takes the form of a bondservant, be made in the likeness of men. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He laid down his rights so that we can lay down our rights. And so I would ask you, have you laid down your rights for the sake of the gospel? And that might mean that you're logging out of Facebook for the next six months unless you're posting pics of your grandkids, which is allowed. Nothing else, please. We don't want to see it. Because it's not unifying the body of Christ. It's actually dividing sometimes. It's just a reminder that we are to be one. Oneness 
around the gospel, oneness around Christ, right? And here's the last one. We'll be done. Be the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's emphatic in the Greek text. It says, literally, it says, you, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That's an imperative. It's a command so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The idea is that when the world is at its worst, the Christians should be at their best. That's the idea. One of the new catchphrases this season, there's been a lot of them, but one of them is essential businesses, right? What's essential businesses? Well, we need to live in such a way that the church is seen as an essential business. More essential than Lowe's, more essential than Walmart, more essential than God's chicken sandwich. That the church of Jesus is living in such a way that people are saying, wow, we need them going. Not necessarily just because we're gathering. That's a piece. That's an encouraging piece. But because you're scattering, because you're being the church. That we need to be, get that back, right? That, that needs to be the kind of impact. If CBC doesn't exist, does South Gardens notice? If CBC doesn't exist, does the city of Savannah notice? That's, that's where we want to be. In, in, in church history, if you look back, it was Christians as a church. When things were dark, they shine bright. So when during the Roman Empire, when they, when they had plagues of all kinds, Christianity actually spread. Why? Because everyone else was hiding and the Christians cared for the sick. And the Christians served one another and they, and they ministered to other people and they offered a different perspective. The Roman uh, theology was that, oh, if something's bad, Poseidon must be mad or Hades must be mad or, or Zeus must be mad and that's why all these bad things are happening and the Christians said, no, 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 it's not that. We live in a fallen world but there was this one who came from heaven and he died on a cross and he was resurrected and he's gonna fix it all and they gave a biblical worldview and they pointed people to Christ and the gospel spread in the midst of hardship. The 16th century, when the Black, when the black Plague hit uh, Wittenberg in Germany, and Luther was told, get out of town, you gotta leave. He refused. And he stayed and he ministered to the sick and he actually, his daughter died because he did not leave. She died of a bubonic plague. And he penned a, a little tract that he sent out and it says, let me quote from it. He says, we die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties it turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. That's a lot different than the perspective we see these days, I think, isn't it? And I'm not saying we should go, you know, downtown and lick flagpoles and, you know, here we are, the Christians. But I am saying that we ought to think of this as an opportunity when everyone else is, is one way. We ought to be shining. We ought to be looking for opportunities to model the gospel. To love our neighbor well. Because love, light shines brighter in the darkness. That's what it does. I have this flashlight at home. It's one of those flashlights, I, I bought it, you know, it was one of those gimmick TV. For $19.99, you can have a flashlight that's more powerful than the sun. I'm like, I need that, right? So you buy that thing, right? My wife says I'm a sucker for a gimmick. I am. 
But I buy this thing, and it's a good flashlight. It really is. But if I shine that flashlight in this room right now, you know, with these spotlights and the sun, you can see it, but it's just not, not really that big of a deal. But I turn that puppy on at night in my attic, in my garage. Man, the cockroaches scatter, and it dispels the darkness, and I can see, and it makes an impact. And if I understand the Bible, and I understand the New Testament, I think I do, things are not going to get better as we get closer to the return of Christ. They're going to get worse, just so you know. And that means it's an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to shine, to dispel, to you, you alone are the light of the world, right? Not just because you're in the room, but because you're out in the world. That's the goal. I think that COVID reminds me of that, and it's a lesson I think we want to move to action. I'm going to remember 2020 for a lot of reasons, right? But I don't want it just to be a memory. I want it to stir us to action, that we are a people that are marked by thankfulness, that we believe that God is on the move even when it seems like he's quiet, that that I wanna cultivate in my own life, but I want us to silence and solitude where we're getting alone and having our soul nourished and Sabbath and rest. It is a 10 commandment, after all. That we are stewarding our bodies, our resources well for the kingdom. That we are learning to worship and lament and rejoice when we rejoice and lament when we lament. That we're fighting for oneness in the body of Christ across demographics, across denominations and that we are remembering that we are the light of the world. We and we alone right now are the light of the world. I wanna be stirred to action. I wanna go watch me some Lord of the Rings, right? And I want us to all be moved. So let's worship, and we'll sing a few more songs and pray, and we'll go and be the church. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak again to your people in person. What a privilege for us to gather in person, for us to worship unashamedly, publicly, in person. What a gift. I pray that we, as we kind of get our lives in what seems to be a little bit more back to order, that that we would not forget that we are to be a thankful people, that we are the light of the world, that we are one, that we weep with those who weep, that we mourn with those who mourn, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, that we are stewards of what you've given us. Whatever lands, Lord, some of us need to just get rest. And that's the most godly thing we could do right now is rest, is get alone with you. So let's, I just pray you would move, get us out of this season into a new one, but also help us to learn the lessons you want us to. Uh, We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You guys can stand as we sing.